Well, it is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there on this 4th of July Monday night at 7 o'clock. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. So thank you for joining us on your holiday evening as uh, some huge news in the college football realm. We also have, uh, you know, of course, the NBA offseason is brewing in full effect, as I think it is every year, uh, as we have come to know and love. Uh, But without further ado, also, of course, a reminder that uh, the opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. But I'm William Haynes. It's been a couple of weeks since you've heard from me, so I'm glad to be back and uh, introducing our panel today. First off, my co-host. Uh, did a great job last week. Really enjoyed listening to the show. My my dear friend as well, Jackson Bake. It's Jackson. It's been a couple of weeks. How are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. You know, we are dear friends. And I don't know if I've ever gotten the dear friend introduction on uh, on the show. So now it's kind of like official, right? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm making it official. I'm making it public. I want the world to know that that you're my dear friend. Absolutely. Wow. That's That's touching. Really, it is. But, you know, I'm doing all right. Um, got some family in town this weekend for the fourth. I am, uh, as of last night, co-champion of Trivial Pursuit uh, in my family. So, uh, you know, that's a long game. It, 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 if you don't have a smart family like me, where it takes us a long time to, you know, win, uh, <laughs> it's a long game. It, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So uh, kudos to my sister Madison for, uh, you know, being my teammate and uh, getting that W. So, um, yeah, it's been a good summer so far. Do they still you, William? Oh, I'm doing great. A question I, about the Trivial Pursuit, of course, as an avid Seinfeld fan, do they still have the card about uh, the Moors that, that George Costanza called the Moops and uh, took, took the point away from, from the Bubble Boy and uh, their game of Trivial Pursuit? You know, this is an updated version. I think it's like 2016, so I do not think so, William. I'm sorry to report. Oh, no, that's okay. I'll, I'll get over that. But no, uh, I, I've been fine. I was under the weather a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. I've been to, been to a bunch of Rays games this summer. They're not doing as well as I, I could have hoped. That's kind of my main thing right now, but uh, they'll find a way. They'll figure it out um, uh, as we're in July now, about the midway point. But uh, next up, our producer of the show was uh, the co-host last week, Jack Oliaro. Uh, Jack, I think you went to Canada, I think, uh, before the last time we spoke. So, so how was that and, and how have you been? Yep. Uh, yeah, I came back from Canada two weeks ago, watched the Formula One. Um, really amazing. It was an awesome experience to go there and probably to go to one of the most European cities in all of North America. Uh, there's a language barrier. It's, there's like, it's, there's trains, there's tunnels, there's a whole, it's a whole, the whole shebang, got the whole European experience all just a couple hours north, and it was a really fun experience. Yeah, I know uh, July 1st was Canada Day. I know that because the Rays were in Toronto, and it's amazing, like, how, I mean, I, it couldn't, shouldn't come as much surprise. Every country is, is patriotic, but, the, I mean, they were out in full force. They probably packed, you know, 50,000 people in that building for that game. It's, it's a big time up there, and it's good to see them, you know, as they kind of slowly get back to normal, And because I know those people have definitely missed – uh, all of that, but it's uh, good to talk with you, you two fellas today. And as I said, we've got a great show lined up. And without further ado, we'll get right into it. The big news 
of course, this week it came on Thursday, Thursday morning, Thursday, Thursday morning, uh, I guess a report surfaced and circulated that uh, USC and UCLA of Southern California, they both were headed to the Big Ten. And then I think it was the unanimous vote of the Big Ten, I guess, you know, the commissioners and all that was announced Thursday night and uh, they will be joining and, and as early as the 2024 season, they'll be moving to the Big Ten. We have no idea what the divisions are going to look like, if there will be divisions. I, that was a big takeaway for a lot of people because, of course, you think Big Ten, they're headquartered in Chicago, a lot of Midwest teams, teams in the Eastern time zone, and they added a couple of teams in Southern California. It doesn't make a ton of sense, but that's why we're here to kind of talk about it and uh, make sense of it. This has huge ramifications, of course, coming off the heels last summer where the move was announced that Texas and Oklahoma were moving from the Big 12 to the SEC. So the Big 12 gets gets buckled, and now the Pac-12 has uh, kind of a death blow uh, to, to you know from two of its main schools being poached away. So uh, I kind of want to throw this out to you guys. What was your kind of first impression? And, and now that we're a couple of days removed, how do you feel about it? I just don't get it. I, I understand it's money. Like I said, I, I just don't get it. I, I have, I'm at loss for words to be completely honest. I, this doesn't come as too much as a surprise uh, just based off where we're going. And, but what, what this move does mean is that all gloves are off. Um, if Los Angeles is now the Midwest, then why can't George tech join the big 10? Like anything is possible now. Forget regions. It doesn't matter. Um, it was one of those sacred parts of college football was having the ability to play your people close to you. And it was a cool proximity thing, something the ACC didn't have too much of. They basically just took that entire coast, but it was something that was, you know, unique and cool to the game of, uh, you know, to the game where you play your rivals, especially that were close to you. And with this, it's, it just, you know, releases all the releases, all of that. And just means um, that we're no longer in this innocent collegiate game. This is now a game of, um, or at least now that colleges are willing to admit it's a game that you know, relies on money and that no one was denying that before, but now it doesn't matter. Like what future does the PAC 12 and big 12 hold? Like, where do they play a role in all of this? Why do, will they just become irrelevant conferences? That's something we need to consider. Um, if the PAC 12 doesn't even add teams, will they cease to exist? Will they just accept their fate? Uh, likely not, but it's something that we have to consider potentially. And it's something that, you know, we could look at our own conference, uh, you know, being that we go to Florida State and look at the ACC, what happens with them? And now that the dominoes have fallen and uh, not that there's doom and it's inevitable, but it just seems like there's time of great change. And it just seems, uh, you know, the walls are sort of fallen and uh, gloves are off. Yeah, as the as the three of us were, were preparing to do this show, I think a lot of us were we were kind of waiting for the next shoe to fall. You know, were we even going to get this full story by the time we went to air? Because last summer after, after the big 12 lost their two big schools, I mean, not immediate, but they, they pretty quickly went into action and they, they poached some top teams from the American athletic conference, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston to, to kind of bolster their strength. And uh, at that point it became clear that it was a game about fighting for survival Another thing that I that I find kind of humorous is uh, after that move, there was that infamous Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC alliance. And then uh, the, the first two conferences that I mentioned just turned to the ACC and stabbed them right in the back and said, no, like it, it's, a, it's a free for all. It's every man for himself. And, and we need to do what we need to do. I think 
it's the Los Angeles being the number two media market in the country. Uh, if you're looking at the, at the bottom line, the dollars for the big 10, I think that's the, the most important move for them because let's be honest, those schools are big brands, but they have not been competitive in quite some time. I mean, USC hasn't had a big win since maybe the Rose bowl in 2016. Uh, the UCLA has not even won the division since 2012 and they hadn't won the conference a, a couple years before that. So these are not teams that are relevant in today's age, but it's big brands and you can get, you know, Ohio state in the Rose bowl in September and, and those kind of matchups that they decide they're going to want, but it, Jack, you're right. The sport feels different. It's, it's kind of more sterile now. I think, you know, the PAC 12 wasn't doing well financially before this all started, they were still kind of dying on the vine, but the, you know, PAC 12 after dark, you get Stanford and Cal and, you know, the U, U, USC going up to, to Wazoo and losing to Washington state on the road. That's kind of what we knew the PAC 12 to be. And now they're left with what Oregon and Washington as as their two big schools. Good luck trying trying to keep that together because even with USC, they as I said, they were dying on the vine. And we don't like to speculate, but it seems like Oregon, uh, especially Oregon, potentially Washington, are the ones who are next in line to go to the Big Ten. Um, and I'm sure you've also heard about Notre Dame's potentially next. That's news that can break by the time uh, in between this recording and uh, by the time it's on air. But yeah, I just, I don't know where we go because the uh, the Big 12 is locked in for the next few years and that, you know, they had their next four years sorted because they have uh, teams incoming, uh, I believe in, it would be next year, next uh, next calendar year, next, uh, I guess, collegiate athletic year in 23 in the summer to make it a 14-team conference for two years. And then Oklahoma, Texas will depart in 25. And due to these new teams, you know, obviously the conference isn't going to fold anytime soon, but maybe it just becomes deemed irrelevant uh, and becomes, what, what do we become? Maybe a group of eight. And we have the two big super conferences, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, TV lords at uh, ESPN and, uh, and the Big Ten basically controlling college football. So I just want to see if the Pick 12 can either like quickly scramble and add a team or if they could just accept the fate because they can't go on really if, if they lose in Oregon or Washington can the conference really hold itself together? I think the big 12 um, can at least sustain itself and just become a, that group of something team, but pac 12, I think could actually cease to exist. And it's a shame for all those mentions, your reason, or for all the uh, reasons you mentioned there, because, you know, when you watch those uh, primetime games on that 7 PM slot on that ABC, the next thing was always, all right. It's like, you know, you'd fall asleep. I'd fall asleep watching Oregon, USC games, um, Washington state, UCLA. It's not that, it was a different kind of football. It was something that, um, you know, I'm going to miss. It was college football all day across the entire country. And uh, I am going to miss that. Not that they're not going to play uh, games around 10 PM. It's just, it has that, it had that packed, it had that Western feel to it. And now it's spread across the country. So it's getting deemed a little bit, just a bit lost and it's losing its uh, uniqueness to it. And I'm going to miss it. I, I read a report as a, it was one of those kind of pieces like why get USC and UCLA and, and one of them was now, you know, the Fox or whichever network is carrying the Big Ten and, you know, in a majority capacity, they have every time time slot now of Saturday, they've had the big noon for a couple of years, it's been huge, they've got 3.30, they've got prime time, but now they've also got the 10 o'clock slot, but I wonder, I mean, are they really going to send Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State out to the West Coast to play those 10 o'clock games 
And, and that was another thing. It's, it feels a little disingenuous and that for, for years we've been told, you know, it's all about the student athlete, you know, they need to be able to, to get to class on time and we don't want to put them through any kind of, you know, rigorous travel and whatnot for no reason. And now you've got teams in the Eastern time zone, like Rutgers and Maryland and Penn state and teams on the West coast, you know, flying cross country, presumably to play each other. What are we doing? I mean, it, it's pretty clear that it was never about that, that it's about the bottom line because why else would you make a move like that? Well, um, you mentioned uh, teams like Ohio State or, or Rutgers going over to the West Coast and, and playing a 1030 game. Same thing. You have teams like USC or UCLA going over to, uh, let's say, I don't know, Michigan to play. Uh, that would be a 10 o'clock game, 10 a.m. game um, if they're playing a noon game. And But I think the rationale for it, um, as terrible as the sounds as well, players getting paid now. So, but not all of them. Uh, they they can travel, huh? But not all of them. It's yeah, only a select few that get I the know, money. But I think that's the rationale. Yeah, no, sure. But it's like it. It's easy to poke holes in that. It would not. I think you're right that that's what they're going to use. But it's just because the the star quarterback has a five million dollar deal. What about what about everyone else? What about the you know the backup offensive lineman that's on the team flight? You know for for four or five hours each way. Yeah, it's rough. And I don't want to say it's tragic. It's just sad. I, I, I'm going to piggyback off of what you said, Jack. It, it was something in college football that was regional. It was something because, you know, in the NFL, I mean, it's split into divisions. It's split into conferences or excuse me. It's split in just in the divisions. Um, obviously, it's in conferences, but. You know, you kept that time zone parity. You kept that regional parity. And, like, the Dolphins and the Patriots, they're rivals. But, uh, you know, they're in that same time zone. It's like a two-hour flight. It's nothing crazy. And going up the coast isn't terrible. Two and a half. So, uh, you know, it, it was it just made sense for everybody. And now we have one – we have – you know, two teams that kind of blow it up for everybody talking about Texas and Oklahoma. And, you know, that was kind of, that's also kind of a strange move in itself when you really think about it because Texas is huge. It's a huge state landmass wise. And so let me go all the way to the Southeast. They are not, they may have Southern qualities, uh, same thing with Oklahoma, but they are not in the Southeast whatsoever. Um, and it just completely opened the door. It busted the whole thing wide open. So um, if you want to look, you want to point the finger at anybody, blame them. Throw the bowl games aside, throw throw the New Year's Six aside. It was, you know, playoff or bust. And it really became, it was the Pac-12 and the Big 12 uh, compared to the other conferences routinely found themselves kind of out of the mix and, and at a, you know, get more relevance. So Oklahoma and Texas said, hey, we're going to go to the SEC and, and play these top-notch schools every week. The Pac-12 hasn't been represented in the playoffs since 2016 with Washington. They've only been represented twice overall. They have not been part of the national conversation at all in, in the last few years. And so, you know, they're, they're two really big-name schools move over. So, and I, and I think Jack is right. I, I think most people agree we're headed to a point where it's going to be two really, really big conferences, what we knew to be the Big Ten, what we knew to be the SEC, and then it's just going to be kind of a collection to everyone else. 
by the time that the two the two Cal schools join the Big Ten in 2024, they're going to be up to 16 teams. I mean, where does it stop? Are we going to be at 20, 24? I mean, the, the sky's the limit. I mean, and, and the SEC is really doing the same. And I and now now that the Pac-12 is kind of blowing up with the, the Big 12 rumored to, to be talking to the Arizona schools, I think Utah as well, trying to take some some of the what's left away. The ACC is on the clock because the alliance just got busted open. You've got some really big brands in that conference. Um, are they going to go to the to the SEC? Well, that that's a tough question because uh, all those schools in the ACC are on long term contracts. The TV deal that they just signed a couple of years ago runs through twenty thirty four. I think it's it's a buyout exceeding thirty million dollars. A lot of schools, including Florida State, I think it's fair to say, don't just have $30 million to, to get out of that deal. So is the ACC, do we, do we kind of see them as the sitting duck in this situation? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, and and it's, said, it's been said by, you know, others, you know, online. Um, really, it all depends on what Notre Dame does. Notre Dame could join the ACC, given that they have that connection um, with – the conference they've had it's probably the what past 10 years i don't have the number right in front of me but um it's been a while um and they're they're in uh they're in the acc in almost every sport i know they're not in it in, in hockey i know they're in the big 10 for hockey but uh you know for basketball baseball they're, they're in the acc so it makes sense for them to just kind of stay within um that realm but like you said, the money, it's a big deal. If they could, you know, not want to be left behind um, and join the Big Ten. But I, I don't know. It, it's interesting because the ACC has been able to put in a playoff contender. You know, they put in what, Clemson four or five times. Florida State's been in it. Um, I think either of those two teams could be independent like Notre Dame and uh, make it to the playoff just because they have that prestige. I'm not saying they should, but um, I think Miami, if they don't join the SEC, which they're not rumored to, uh, I could definitely see them being independent like they were a long time ago. Uh, they were independent for a while. As um, was FSU. Uh, FSU, I think Georgia Tech were un- independent for about a decade up until joining the ACC in yeah. 79. So, uh, you know, that's definitely still on the table, but it depends on what Notre Dame does. Notre Dame could uh, single-handedly save the ACC if they join. Or it could spell disaster because for the, the argument, I guess, joining the Big Ten is that regionally, that makes sense. That makes total sense as to why they would be a part of that. Um, I know William and I were talking in that, about this um, a couple nights ago and that it doesn't make sense. Uh, like they couldn't strike a deal TV-wise with Big Ten years ago and it just wasn't going to work even though they're like two hours outside of one another uh, in Chicago, Illinois, but it would make sense for them regionally go to Big Ten, uh, be a part of that bigger collective, and that would be a huge loss for the ACC because some of those Notre Dame seems like one of those teams that maybe could survive and be independent, but there can't be too many of them. And I wonder if no, if Notre Dame uh, wishes to be uh, or remain independent, or if they do join somebody you look at some of those other brands and think if Notre Dame thinks they can't survive, what makes us think that uh, Florida state, Clemson, North Carolina, like can, can they survive on their own? And that's what I guess worries me a little bit is that if Notre Dame um, joins a big 10 and if 
whatever the first ACC domino is to fall that's outside of Notre Dame, let's say it is an FSU or a Clemson. Like what happens there is what changes ACC's um, like entirety and whole. And that's just something we got to kind of just sit on and see what happens because it likely won't come out soon unless one of them is taking drastic action because Texas to Oklahoma uh, is a house fire. That wasn't as bad of a move, I guess, now compared to what happened to UCLA and USC. That's a small forest fire. That was because now, because and there's levels to it, but region regions are off. Like probably, like it doesn't matter where you are anymore. We pretended and entertained the idea that Oklahoma, Texas, were in the SEC. The argument was, well, they're not technically in the southern southeastern part of the United States. Neither was Missouri. So, like, what does that matter anymore? And UCLA, Texas A&M joined. Yep. So, what doesn't matter anymore if UCLA and USC joined the Midwestern Conference essentially? But at the, the next big name AC school to move, that is we, we, ran, we run into California state emergency because it's not like those names trump those schools that I mentioned prior. It's just what we feared is now true. And it truly begins the Fox and ESPN era of um, them just collecting teams like a little infinity gauntlet or whatever. I, I'm not too super well-versed in the superhero stuff, but they're just going to collect teams like um, – like like streaming services like Hulu and Netflix and it's gonna and it's ultimately gonna change the sport forever because I grew up a I grew up an ACC fan I was born into a Georgia Tech household been on Yellow Jacket most of my life grew up in the ACC coastal side of things joined or got accepted into Florida State been watching the ACC Atlantic the ACC has always been a part of my life and I've grown to really enjoy it and to see that maybe fall apart is it's sad inevitable but and inevitable but i don't know it was something i always enjoyed um and that being and it wasn't in the sec it wasn't a super region where or a super conference where you know everyone was clamoring and loving their conference acc is a weird collection of teams it's weird but i love it and it, i am sad to see it potentially go um and that really falls on if notre dame sticks around that strengthens their hold on the acc and then from there that's a conversation we have then but if they do decide to go and join that Big Ten, um, we're down to 14 as we were already in football. But what does that tell Clemson and Florida State teams who maybe can't make it on their own already? Paul Feinbaum did some spots on ESPN this week after the news. He was kind of the uh, their authority on what was going on. And uh, he was saying that um, the Big Ten and the SEC – it's it, it's going to get to the point where every year in in the revenue sharing, each member school is going to be pulling in upwards of one hundred and fifty million dollars between the TV contract and all that. The ACC, in comparison, is like forty five to fifty million. So uh, of course, we talked about this a few weeks ago in the age of NIL, where money is for directly uh, correlates to potential success on the field a lot more than it used to. I mean, the, the super conferences make it three times as much as you. It's huge. And I wonder what's going to happen to some of those French schools. Like, why is Maryland and Rutgers getting $150 million a year? They're not bringing that revenue to the Big Ten. So I wonder, are they going to start shuttling some of those teams out and trying to replace them with, with bigger names? And that, that, that goes to everyone. Every conference now is on watch. What about Vanderbilt and the SEC? I mean, what, is, what are these conferences' loyalties to some of these schools? Because it's a cutthroat business, and it's uh, as we've seen with the news this week, it's all about just getting the big name. That's all that matters now. Get those big matchups on TV every week. That's what they're looking at. 
And it's interesting because a team like Vandy is, I believe, a founding member of the conference. And Kentucky's in there too. So it's, you know, you're exactly right. You made the point about loyalty. It's, you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, we're in a we're in a we're in a spot in the sport that we're not this isn't probably how we got into college football. We weren't we were born into the age of uh, or this where, you know, conferences exist and it was a fun thing to be a part of because if we really think about it, there's nothing quite like collegiate sport and, you know, conferences for that matter. Uh, you can maybe argue, you can maybe say there's something like divisions in other sports and conferences and, and whatnot, but it was something truly unique and uh, it's about to be wrecked. And um, it's, there's no, I don't think it was really a silver, like silver lining to any of this. It's just how it's going to be. And you kind of hope your school is um, um, fortunate enough. I think, again, we don't want to speculate, but it seems like if something were to happen in Florida State, the move would be that they would go to the SEC or this ESPN Super Hella Mega Conference or whatever. So I just want to see what happens in the next couple of years or if something even happens the next few days or if the news is going to slow down. It is weird to think about, you know, that TV networks are kind of influencing and kind of shaping these conferences behind the scenes and no one's really you know, Back coming out and saying it. Um, so that's something I don't think we've ever seen in college sports either. You know, just, uh, just complete, just complete disarray. Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Sorry. I was saying just complete disarray. Yeah. Disarray. It's a, it's a good word. It, it just, com it's completely gone away from what it's always been. It's always been about money, but it's always been kind of hush hush. And then, it's almost kind of like, you know, we as fans enjoyed being lied to. Um, Live but now that it's out in the open, we're not happy with the truth. Yeah. Same and with NIL for a lot of people. It was, you know, don't be naive about it. Players were always getting paid, but now that, you know, the guy from Miami gets nine and a half million dollars and, you know, it's out in the open. Now people are like, they, they don't like it as much when it's out in front. You, Jackson, you bring up the you know the the the, the television networks are, are pretty openly controlling this. Feinbaum on on first take, he brought it up. He was like, "Well, people are you know people like to say that the, the television contracts are are the controlling factor." And then he didn't even dispute it. Like he he brought it up as something people said, but he didn't try and refute that it was true. I mean, even people at the top know. Um, I think it, it started with the deal ESPN made with the college football playoff. I mean, they not just those not just those three games in January, but they want those those ranking reveal shows to be a big deal. I mean, and they you know, the expansion, get more games. They don't they don't really care what it does to the sport. They don't care if it, you know, changes the regular season, kills bowl season. It's just let's just get the money that we can get for the properties that we have. And it's it really is absurd. I, I don't know if people are really going to like where this ends up. We have, you know, 30 team conferences and what you know a 16 team playoff it's not the college football we used to know that's for sure and most of us didn't fall in love with the college football playoff or even the championship games we fall in love with the october the october september afternoon saturday afternoons those 4 p.m.ers or those late night games where uh maybe florida state's taking on a really strong louisville or wake forest or clemson that year it's we didn't i i didn't become a college football fan off of those uh, you know, big, big market games. It was a rare opportunity. And when it happened, it was like, all right, like this is a big 
is a big opportunity. And now it's going to become more commonplace. It's going to become more regular. It's going to dilute the fact that it's even happening. We're going to, we're going to probably see these Texas Alabamas or these, um, you know, USC Michigan games and maybe probably not even bat an eye in it in a decade's time from now. And that's, that's upsetting Two giant markets and two giant um, historic uh, colleges play each other and it's just going to be the regular and it's, it's really losing the plot a little bit um, to an extent. How do you guys feel about where Florida state lies in this? Um, if they can somehow get out of the buyout, whether that's they, they try and raise money or the sec pays it. Would you want to see Florida state go to the sec and, and play those powerhouses every week just to kind of stay in the national conversation would you maybe rather us kind of stick it out in the ACC and, and maybe dominate uh, what's left? If you go to the SEC, not this Florida State team probably isn't ready, or just in a football sense, not ready to take on the likes of the SEC. It's from the Southeast. It would make a very logical sense for them to move. And probably for money and bottom line, uh, as the SEC would just makes a lot of sense. If um, I would personally just want to see them stick in the ACC for a bit, and ride it out because Florida state is a team that can afford to be late if they really want to, but that's likely not how it's going to fold. And um, look, the sec move just makes sense or whatever um, conference that they do decide to join. It just makes sense for them. Um, it's, it's a regional move. It makes sense. It's a move that, you know, on paper, it just, it would do a lot for the school. And while I don't want to admit that the sec is drawing near, but, it the ACC is probably coming to a fold at some point. So, yeah, I would agree. Um, I'd like to see Florida State stay in the ACC, see if they can keep that conference alive and kind of carry it on their back alongside Clemson. Also, from a basketball standpoint, I think they're in a great spot to stay in the ACC. Um, baseball well, as well. That's one so, where you don't need the SEC essentially. Sorry, that's one where the SEC kind of, I guess, SEC would want ACC teams joining their conference in a basketball sense. Yeah. Hundred percent. You know, you imagine. I mean, Duke's probably not gonna. It could be kind of like a, a Big East kind of situation where uh, you have a basketball-centric conference. You know, with Carolina and Duke and uh, teams like Wake Forest, who are historically a basketball school. Um, you know, NC State, Pitt, Syracuse. So, uh, especially Syracuse being a former Big East team, they kind of uh, they've kind of been around that kind of been around that merry-go-round but i will say um it, it does seem like the sec is inevitable and can you imagine the uh the florida game every year being a conference game that's oh. <laughs> that's weird to think about so you know that alone that's usually one of our tougher games of the year um and so now we're gonna you know florida state's gonna have to find some some even tougher non-conference but you know that's another thing with so many teams in one conference, this does uh, outside play just go away? I think it would have to, yeah. Or at, I, least, or at least it goes down to one or two games. Um, because if there's so many teams in the conference anyway, you know, if it gets up to, you know, exceeding 24, you know, 24 teams in a conference, which I don't know uh, how much the SEC, how much does the SEC have right now? They have six, they have 14. 14, okay. Well, so we're not there yet. Texas and Oklahoma but, be 16. Gotcha. So yeah, we're not, we're not close to there yet, but you know, it gets to the point where in one conference and one, I don't know if they'll do conferences or not, but, or excuse me, divisions or not in the SEC, but uh, I assume they would. 
but you know you're getting to the point where there's you know 19 20 teams in a, in a division you know it, it's to be able to play all your division mates you only have one or two um conference games left so or non-conference games left so i i could totally see them not doing a conference or not allowing non-conference play uh but you know i mean florida state would be in a good spot because you know they've got their protected rivalry with uh florida so it's not really an issue for them but you know that's what that's what made florida state it was it was bobby bowden going to nebraska and playing them twice in three years in 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 uh, Lincoln, Lincoln, and you know going on the road and I'm you know my dad used to work for the football team. He remembers you know playing South Carolina and playing Auburn and you know kind of going out of their comfort zone and saying you know we'll play you anywhere any any place anytime and uh, that's what made Florida State. That's what got eyes on them and. Um, but it's it's now money driven now, and it's kind of like the live tour. We 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 can. I'm going off track a little bit here, but uh, you know, everybody in the media can go, oh, it's about money now. Damn it, you know, like this stinks. This stinks, and then we're just glued to it as soon as it starts. Like you know, it, I think we just complain because it's natural to complain about change. Um, and I'm not saying you're wrong, Jack, because you're right. It does stink. But, you know, three months later, we're going to be forgetting about – no one's going to be like, this stinks. I hate all these good teams playing against each other. You know, like, <laughs> no one's going to be mad when it actually happens. So, uh, who knows? I also think just a quick note on the, ske- on the scheduling side of things. If you grow a conference to the point where you have 20, 20 or so teams, or even 20-plus um, – in a scheduling sense, this gets difficult unless you don't add games. You could have teams kind of like hide in the shadow and not and get away with easier games, uh, especially if let's just say there's no division or anything. You could I mean, have teams who- not adding games because if anything, well, it's possible. But if anything, if they're trying to expand to a 12 team playoff, if anything, they're probably gonna have to drop a game um, to stay within that 15, 16 game format. But it but, becomes a fairness thing where some teams like obviously there's been easier and harder schedules in conferences, but like to have an easier like conference schedule is something that's kind of a bit screwed up uh, and just, you know, whatever your road to whatever, like playoff, whatever you want to do. It's just, I think in a fairness sense and scheduling sense, you have to either add games to make things more level, or you could have teams either have the hardest schedule we have ever seen compiled, or you have teams get away with the easiest stuff. What would be interesting for the SEC is I, I, I could totally see, the SEC totally realigning their divisions because you're going to have Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU. Um, who else am I forgetting in the West? Um, Missouri. Missouri. Well, yeah, but those are the main five. I mean, that that's a gauntlet, right? Arkansas maybe with how they're headed. Yeah, Arkansas. And you add uh, Florida State and Clemson. They'd most likely be in the East, but you know it. It would. It would allow for some, you know, not as tough schedules. I think, uh, as not as tough as you think, if they realign that, just because that the West would be, first of all, 
for the SEC itself, that lessens probably the chance of them going to the playoff if you have that kind of round-robin style of um, all those great historic teams playing against each other. Because um, it's very possible to be a, a great team and to go, you know, I don't know, four and one against those teams in total or three and one against those teams uh, within that division. So uh, there's a lot of ramifications. And it's funny, you know, we're talking about the SEC because – you know, uh, UCLA and USC go join the Big Ten. You know, we're all we're already trying to piece this together, and uh, who knows? It, it could be a month before we hear any more news about this, whether Notre Dame decides to make a decision or not. I think Notre Dame is going to stay independent. I do. I wonder. Of course, it's it's a money game. We've been saying that all day. Um, and, and Notre Dame long known for their, their lucrative contract with NBC to, to air their, you know, six home games every year. They're not affiliated with the conference. They don't have to split that money with anybody, but you know, the big 10, if all their member schools are getting $150 million now, maybe that number climbs to 200 million because that TV, that big 10 TV deal that was supposed to get negotiated in May or late April did not get done and the reason was because they knew they were getting some more schools coming in in, in a couple of months um for notre dame at, at what point does it become uh, more lucrative for them to join a conference and reap some of those benefits and it's going to be the breaking point and i think the reality is is that number is not going to be in the acc i don't i don't think the acc network deal can rival what notre dame is getting with their nbc stuff so um I, I think the, the ACC, the, the, they're not in a, in, a, in a great place because you guys are right. I think Notre Dame is, is the linchpin. They're going to decide. They're kind of the next shoe to fall, um, if you will. It doesn't look like they're going to go to the Big Ten. There's, a, there's some kind of rivalry there that they don't want to be there. Um, and there's no geographical affiliation with them being in the SEC. But as we're learning more and more every day, that, that doesn't really matter much. Um, well, so I'll say that Notre Dame – doesn't have a problem with money. Um, they're not a they're not a university where um, they have to worry about about dollar amounts because they have plenty of cash. Um, I, I think their decision is a football decision. I think um, once Notre Dame does not get into um, the playoff because of their lack of conference. Um, is or their their lack of strength of schedule because they play however many ACC teams a year, um, four or five. Uh, until that becomes a factor, until their their strength of schedule, or until their um, you know lack of a conference game becomes a factor in their ability to make the college football playoff, I think they stay independent. There's no reason for them to you know get out of that 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 feeling of being elite um, compared to all the other schools when you have eyeballs on them on national TV six times a year. Um, you've never seen Notre Dame on the ACC network. Has anybody ever seen them on the ACC network? Has anybody not seen them on either NBC or a national slate? Yeah, I think if, if they're like at Duke or something, it'll probably get, you know, the the 730 ACC network in night game. But it, you're right. It's very rare. I mean, they're uh, 
a top 10, maybe top five kind of television market as far as viewership. FSU was ranked 15 in the, in the study that was just done, but Notre Dame would be uh, surpassing them. Um, a, a tease for the second half, a, a big part of where these super conferences are going to go with scheduling might be uh, scheduling pods. And we saw the ACC do just that in, in, in a bit of a trailblazing uh, bit of news. So we'll get into that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS. Don't go away. Listen, baby. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk, half number two. Won't delay it any further as some some big FSU news this week was kind of overshadowed by what we discussed earlier. But uh, the ACC schedule after 2022 is going to look a lot different this week. It was announced that um, the the ACC, the first to kind of go to some some pod scheduling and uh, divisions have been scrapped. No more ACC Atlantic, no more ACC Coastal. Instead, each team will have three protected rivals that they will play every year, and the remaining 10 teams uh, will be on a semi-annual basis that you have five teams you play one year, and the other five, te- the other five teams you play uh, the next year. So, uh, for example, in 2023, the, the first year that it takes effect, they'll play Miami, Syracuse, Clemson as their three protected rivalries. They'll have Duke, Virginia Tech, uh, Boston College, Pitt, and Wake Forest. So uh, kind of want to throw this out to you guys. How do you feel about it? Do you think this was the right move to make, especially with everything going on? Uh, maybe better for competitive balance, but uh, you lose some of the annual rivalries that we've come to know and love. You do. Um, I think they protected them. Like if FSU Miami wasn't protected, we would join together because we need to beat the crap out of each other every year. Uh, there would have been riots for that. But they also protected some of those secondary ones, like that FSU-Clemson rivalry, I think, is a good one that they protected. I don't know if that's something that's always going to be in the rotation. Um, assuming, let's just assume nothing happens in the grand scheme of things and the ACC stays, of course. Um, Miami's rivalry that would stick around. Syracuse is one of those that's going to be floated through because um, these are four. this is a four-year thing, and it's probably going to go away after four years unless we really grow a rivalry with Syracuse. And the likelihood of that happening, you know, I, I'm not going to hate on the Qs. I love their mascot. But Clemson is one that could probably stick around. And some of these other teams were stuck in some pretty uh, difficult or rather rather easy opponent scheduling. Uh, I've heard that maybe FSU is the hardest side of things, playing obviously having Clemson and obviously playing Miami. Um, will they or won't they on the rise eventually of Miami? And even Cuse is a sneak, kind of a sneaky one where uh, we're obviously pretty familiar with them, having played them really the past, I guess, 10 years with them since joining the Atlantic. And I think... Overall, I think there are some things I would have wanted to have different because it seems like the ACC had their rivals that they had in mind and then everyone else, they just kind of pressed a random generator button and just see where things went. Uh, UNC, like for like teams like you would see in Clemson were spoon fed their rivalries like GT, North Carolina State and Florida State for Clemson. Uh, North Carolina is going to have Duke, North Carolina State, Virginia, all very close 
teams. Um, I would have thought they would have stuck more to their original like timelines to how they stuck out in the ACC. So you have your, you know, your founding ACC members, your, uh, what do you want to, what do you call the area of the country in the Carolinas? The, uh, the, the mid, the mid six, we'll call them the mid six. Tobacco road. Tobacco road. Okay. I wanted mid six, but we'll go tobacco road. Those like UNC, UVA's, your Wakes, your Dukes, NC State and Clemson's, they've mostly stuck together and those rivalries are going to be played unless um, they felt like one of them wasn't strong enough. Everyone, you know, is like there's UNC and UVA, they're playing most of the time. Um, you have your two independents of the late 1900s, as I alluded to earlier with Georgia Tech and uh, Florida State. They kept their Clemson rivalries, and then they were given their weird ones like GT was given uh, Wake Forest, uh, Syracuse for Florida State. I think these two could have been these two could have been together. They're very close schools, and they haven't had the opportunity to play each other. They're they're only about what five or six hours out, and in an era where we want to try to like cut down on the travel if we can, or maybe not. I think that's a real opportunity missed, but the good news is they're only going to play every two years as opposed to every six years. And I think that's going to help the balance because, um, you know, people of the Atlantic always critiqued uh, people in the coastal saying uh, you always hit in the coastal, like your Miamis of the world were protected by um, your Dukes and uh, Pitts of the world prior, but now it's wide open. It uh, doesn't matter anymore. Um, Cause now you get to play, you play everybody every two years. I like that in a sense of, you get to see the whole rivalry. Um, we haven't played Duke in a long time. We haven't like just a lot of these coastal teams that FSU hasn't played in a long time. I think so kind of rewarding to finally see them on a more regular basis. And I think is better for the conference as a whole to be more familiar with each other. Cause what's really the point of having a rivalry, I guess, if we're only playing some of those teams every six years, it felt like such a weird. And FSU is a team where you have your cross divisional foe, like, like it is Miami and like you have your teams every year. So I think some teams got uh, shelled a little bit, but I think FSU is on a side of things where they got the rivalry and then Syracuse has Syracuse will have to deal with it. My, my opinion is not that anybody cares, except for maybe our, our, our great listeners. But personally, I would have loved to have seen a swap. Um, I would have loved to have seen a Virginia Tech uh, third game instead of Syracuse. I think those venues match together. Um, you know, in Blacksburg, you know, understand man. And then also, uh, you know, them coming to, to Tallahassee every year. Uh, remember that 2018 game? It, it was Willie Taggart's first year. Uh, that place was rocking. And to have that every year, um, teams that have been historically good, uh, I, I think, and Sy- obviously Syracuse has been really good, you know, with Ernie Davis and Jim Brown, but to have kind of the history of Virginia Tech and, and and Florida State kind of mashed together and kind of in that new blood, that's the phrase we've used for Florida State basketball. Um, in a football sense, they're both kind of new bloods. And I, I think it would have been a really cool, as a fan of college football, it would have been to see, it would have been great to see them play Virginia Tech every year. But uh, like y'all said, Florida State, assuming that, that the ACC lives on, um, with Florida State and Clemson in it, uh, Florida State has kept their strength of schedule intact. You know they're not playing. Um, they're not playing the the Dukes and uh, the Virginias every year. So, um, you know, Florida State and Virginia actually used to be a trophy game. So it's it still uh, technically is the Jefferson Epps Trophy. And that was a point I was yeah. going to make later. In that I know it's not a marquee game, but a 
the team with the trophy on the line. Like, how could that not be part of the rotation? That seems kind of like a missed opportunity, and that's kind of why I was hoping that might have happened. But yeah, they're still going to play for two years. For, if it wasn't Virginia Tech, I was hoping it was Virginia. And that's, I guess it's okay in the sense of the argument can be made that, well, they're going to play every two years as opposed to every six. So I guess, and that's fine, I guess. I also think if we're looking at maybe who could be that third one, because uh, assuming ACC stays intact, and I, I, we have to keep saying that, and I will keep saying that. Um, it seems like Clemson and Miami are going to stick around. It's that Syracuse one that's going to be fluxed in and fluxed out. I would have liked to see Louisville. That's a rivalry game that I think has grown a little bit of years. Louisville doesn't really have a strong rival really at all. They're relatively new. They came in in 2014. You obviously had the teams that they had from the Big East, Exodus, um, years ago. But they never really had a strong team that could hold on and, like, make their rival, so to speak. And I don't know. We've had some, uh, you know, pretty big games with them over the past couple of years, and I thought they may have been a team that um, would have met a, met a good rival for a couple of years. And just – I also think I'd like to know, point out that these aren't really mentioned as rivals. They're just primary opponents, and that's how I'm definitely going to treat the Syracuse side of things, where um, – it's just an opponent that's we're going to play it for once every like every year for four years and then it's gonna be back into your cycle because there's no way Syracuse would stick around in our schedule but well um do y'all remember in 2016 where in the Atlantic and I'm gonna say I'm glad uh that they've got ridden they've gotten rid of divisions because I don't know if y'all remember in 2016 it's Florida State Clemson and Louisville and had they all gone one and one against each other, they would have had to had to have a committee to decide who was going to represent uh, the Atlantic that year against. I think it was Miami or whoever it was in 2016. Was, who? I think it was Mark Rick's Miami. Uh, someone can point me out to being wrong, but I think that was it. Yeah. So, um, you know, just a just kind of a weird situation. Almost felt like the SEC West that year, um, but. That was the year that Lamar Jackson put up 60-plus on Florida State uh, in that horrific noon game. I have no clue why that was a noon game. Um, but I remember college game day uh, was at that game because it was a top-five matchup, I believe, or at least a top ten. And um, Kirk Herbstreit had to had – call the game so he, he left the game day set like 15 minutes before noon which was just weird it was a weird day and then obviously Florida State gets uh, the biggest ass whooping I think we've seen in a while so um, yeah I would have liked to have seen Louisville as well um, but Florida State could use a cupcake right now and so for the next four years not that Syracuse is a cupcake but compared to the other two schools in terms of historic significance um Syracuse is a good fit for the Knowles I think ultimately it softens the schedule up a little bit I think it was the right move because really through the entire time of the ACC the Atlantic and Coastal were were like miles apart it didn't make sense to just have Clemson automatically you know seated to go to the conference championship every year against like Virginia or Miami or whoever happened you know Pitt whoever happened to be good enough that year um, so now <clears throat> instead of divisions, it's going to be just the, the top two teams out of the, what the, the 14 with the highest winning percentage, um, which I think is good. You're going to get, a, I mean, Clemson will still probably go every year, but then it gives Florida state a chance to go, even if they lose to Clemson, uh, in the regular season, whatever I am going to miss some of the, uh, Atlantic kind of rivalries that we came to new, 
come to know and love, you know, playing Louisville every year, Boston College, NC State. Um, there was something to that that I liked. They were all really tough opponents, but mixing in Duke and Georgia Tech and UNC and Virginia a little more that haven't been very strong lately, uh, I think ultimately helps Florida State in, you know, what they want to do with contending and everything else. Um, and they've, I mean, as far as non-conference, they've got Alabama on the slate at the end of the decade. They've got a couple of games with LSU. So, I mean, your schedule is hard enough. Um, so, you know, mixing in some of those other opponents, I think is good. Uh, we're coming up to the end of the show and we have a couple more things quickly on the baseball side of thing. Uh, Link Jarrett had his opening press conference had his big media tour. I mean, he was on, you know, Packer and Durham, which I, I, I just learned is, is no more as of July 1st, which is sad to see that go. Um, and, you know, Jeff Cameron show and all that. But there was actually some some pretty big news on the baseball side is Link Jarrett has already gotten busy working the transfer portal, all Big 12 uh, designated hitter slash catcher. Uh, McGuire Holbrook has transferred to Florida State and uh, his numbers last year were great his 327 batting average last year would have led the team got on base about 40 percent of the time knocked in 43 runs uh, 22 walks six homers so a player that uh, could compete with Colton Vincent maybe to play catcher I think I'm interested to see what Jarrett wants to do with Jaime Ferrer if he wants to give him another shot at catcher or if he's um, gonna be more of a kind of utility guy so Give him an option there. Uh, maybe he replaces Alex Terrell as, as kind of that power bat that uh, maybe DHs uh, a little more and, and gives you some flexibility. That way, wouldn't be surprised if he maybe even tries to play first base, but you get a really good bat in the lineup. Con hitting for contact was something that was challenging for this team. So get a guy who hit 327 last year and made all conference uh, from West Virginia. Uh, that That's going to be, I think, a big get, and we'll see. Um, who else he's able to get? We'll see who leaves. I don't know if Tyler Martin is going to stay. That That's kind of a, a weird, uh, awkward situation. So uh, we'll keep our eyes peeled on that. But for Jarrett, it's a good start. I mean, what won the press conference, all that, you know, all those tweets, ready to run through a wall for this guy. And, and you see that just with about any coach that gets hired. But he's got the people fired up and, and people are excited to see what he's going to do. So um, and good to see him with a good start. And then finally, a lot of big news. Uh, and the NBA world is, you know, free agency underway, all kinds of trades being moved. There was a big one, I think, uh, a couple of days ago as uh, the Utah Jazz are maybe blowing it up as Rudy Gobert was dealt um, to the Minnesota Timberwolves for for a few players. And I think four first round picks as well. And we'll start there. Um, big implications. I mean, where's Donovan Mitchell going to go? Um, and Utah has been a contending team, seems like forever. And now they just traded away a guy that basically single-handedly, you know, kept their defense competitive. Yeah, but there's a price on everything, and the price was right this time. Four first-rounders um, kind of reminds me of – it's not – in terms of player-wise, it's not – you know, the amount is not the same, but it reminds me of the Brooklyn Nets uh, Celtics trade back in the day when both Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce went to Brooklyn, um, and it set up – the Celtics to where they are now. So um, I think it's a good move by the Jazz. Uh, Rudy Gobert is a great center. Um, but what's he going to be the guy to get you to a championship? And I think it's a boneheaded move by Minnesota, in my opinion. Um, I don't think Rudy Gobert is the piece that they need to 
you know, get them to a, a contending level. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I, I don't, I don't see them making it past, you know, I don't see them getting to the finals. I, I, I think a good season for them is getting to the conference finals. Um, I, but I don't think that's going to happen. Either. I think they're a second round exit still. Um, and I think they sacrificed their future for it. I, I thought it was a terrible trade. The team team looks interesting now in a dominant front court with Carl Anthony Towns and Gobert, and you've got Anthony Edwards doing what he does. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's going to be an interesting watch to see how they all piece it together. Alex Rodriguez now is the new owner of that team with the, with a big splash move. And, uh, yeah, it looks like the Jazz are, are, are kind of blowing it up. Uh, Kevin Durant, it looks to be on the move. I think that the day after Kyrie Irving opted into uh, 2023 with the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant said, uh, I want to get out of here. I told the owner directly he wants to be traded. I think Phoenix and Miami are the favorites right now with Philadelphia also in the mix. Um, I, me personally, I, I'm kind of getting tired of just seeing the superstars every year or two deciding they want out of whatever team they're in. But we'll, we'll play the game. I mean, where do, where do you see uh, KD going? Why, why real quick, why don't we just give every player a one-year contract at this point? I, I just – Yeah. It's nuts. But. I, I Miami would, would be really interesting to see that they play really well as a team. I don't know. Is, is KD really good for that? Because the, the Nets were kind of the same. They had all these Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie's, and they, they get rid of all those to get Harden and then um, didn't work out so well. But uh, – well, maybe by next week we'll know where he's going to go. I imagine the Nets kind of want to get this taken care of as soon as they can. So that, that's the next big shoe to fall. That'll do it for this week on Tomahawk Talk. For myself, William Haynes, my co-host Jackson Bakich, our producer this week, Jack Oliaro. This has been Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee. And until next Monday, 